Welcome to our Black History Month series of podcasts. I'm Daniel Gering. I'm a partner at Travis Smith and I head up our pension sector group. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Sai Makangama, who is likewise a partner in pensions, but in PwC's pensions advisory practice. And we're going to be talking mainly about role modelling, allyship, but also whatever comes up. So um, I'm going to hand straight over to Sai and just um, start off by inviting him just to tell us a bit about him. Thanks, Daniel. And yeah, thank you for inviting me to, to join you today on this uh, this session. So my, my mother was Jamaican uh, and my father was Malawian. They, they met in Scotland where they'd both come to study, though neither of them had been to Scotland before. I think had they both experienced Scottish weather in all its four seasons and one day glory, they may have chosen somewhere else to study. So I was born and grew up in Glasgow in the 80s, which was certainly an interesting time to grow up in Glasgow. Perhaps not the easiest time to look different to everyone else and to try and fit in at school. But fortunately, I, I did have academic success at school, which meant I had options and some course choices available to me. My path to PwC thereafter was not, not necessarily straightforward. I actually did an engineering degree, um, and then pre-final summer, uh, a pre-final year, I did a summer placement at Rolls-Royce. Rather than turning me towards engineering, that placement turned me away from engineering and towards the financial services sector. I decided to train as an actually with a firm in Glasgow. I joined PwC in 2007 uh, after one of the partners I worked with moved across to PwC. In 2011, I relocated uh, relocated to London, uh, referenced my earlier comment on the weather as to be one of the reasons why I did that. Um, I was promoted to the partnership in 2020. My, as Daniel mentioned, my area of focus is pensions advisory. I also chair PwC's Colour Brave Charity Committee. That committee is responsible for channeling PwC money and volunteering hours to organisations with a large number of beneficiaries from ethnic minority backgrounds. That's great. So thank you. And uh, what a journey, um, especially for your parents to rainy, rainy Glasgow. I think <laughs> the University of Malawi might have been at least a little bit more of a sunny and warm place. I, I often say that, Daniel, I could have been sitting sipping Mai Tais and cocktails <laughs> on a beach somewhere rather than being in Glasgow in, in the depths of winter. Yeah, I guess Jamaica as well offers, yeah. offers a few benefits. But um, yeah, anyway, we are, we are, we are, I guess. Um, and actually, the sun is shining today in London, which does does help. So I said we're going to talk about role modeling and I personally think this is a really interesting area. I remember the first time anybody and in fact it was Chris Edwards um, uh, who as many people know is our diversity director Travis Smith um, who told me years and years ago that I needed to get a grip and accept that I was a role model and I found it in, inherently uncomfortable um, sort of title. I, I genuinely didn't feel that that was something which I aspired to. And over the years, I've thought about, you know, why is that, you know, um, being held up to a standard which is is um, too high, just, you know, uh, is, is, is it just something which you, know, you don't want to put your head above the parapet or whatever. But I have realised over time personally that it is actually, um, to my mind anyway, an incredibly important concept and one that um, certainly I sort of feel a bit of a responsibility to to, to keep on trying to be in, in, in some way or at least trying to identify as as a role model and not be too embarrassed about that. 
So, um, I mean, I, I guess I know about being a role model um, with, you know, certain diversity and inclusion characteristics, but also hopefully, but a bit more generally in, in our business around role modeling other behaviors, which aren't necessarily associated with that. I'm always fascinated talking to other people who uh, I think have, you know, been given that sort of um, branding. And uh, so and perhaps, you know, just to start with, you know, what what are your what are your experiences um, in in this area? How do you feel about about it as as a, as something which you know people are undoubtedly asking you um, to identify as being? Yeah, no, I think I think Daniel exactly like you. I a role model was something I don't see myself as, or something I necessarily identify with. But but like you, I do understand how as others do see that of me. Uh, in my organisation, I am one of only seven black partners, so I can definitely see how that is important to people. Um, they they look up and they they take a view that either they they have to change or they have to leave because they don't necessarily see the representation that they would expect to see or hope to see. How many partners have you got, sorry? Um, how many? So, seven out of. We have a, just under a thousand partners. Wow. So from our representation, but interesting enough, said we probably have, we will not even probably we do have the most uh, number of black partners at the big four. So you can see that there's quite some way and quite a journey to to go yeah. on. Yeah, you can say that again. Um, but so that, that's why I do think I have an important role to play on that in that area. I mean, I think back to myself when I was younger. Uh, my my role models when I were was younger. Um, were sporting people, so John Barnes, Andy Cole, Brian Lara, people that were visible to me. Um, it potentially would have been some singers, but I can't sing, so that's why I chose uh, people as role models. But actually, as I've got older, then certainly some of the politicians like Mandela, Obama, Jacinda Ardern, and it's not because I think these individuals are perfect and I agree with everything they've done, uh, the politics of policies, but I guess it's the way I've always just been inspired by the way they can hold themselves up in the face of challenge and how they've managed to pre uh, proceed and succeed with their careers and their paths. So I guess, coming back to your question, I think that's what people are looking up to uh, yourself, myself, others, to do as well because they see a path that potentially they can they can also forge yeah yeah no absolutely i think that um it does though put put you under a, under i'm sure under a, quite a degree of, of pressure uh, is that something you, you know that you that you feel do you think that that people expect you to sort of act in a particular way or put a kind of higher standard um on you than than others yeah, so I do. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right in that one, Daniel. It's a really good question. I think that it does probably come through in a couple of areas. So I do think the the concept of having to change yourself a little bit in order to succeed as part of as part of that. So even as a role model, you can't quite be yourself. You perhaps somebody once used this phrase with me: you have to be yourself, but with style. So there's probably some. Some bits of yourself, of course, you can show, but probably not all of it, just because of the, the role you're in. And I also think as well, just to your second point, I do think there is, uh, as a role model, particularly from an ethnic minority background, you are worried about failing perhaps more. And maybe that's a personal thing as well. But you do feel that if you were to fail, then that does represent badly on, on the, the rest of your ethnic minority group. So that pressure of 
of needing to succeed for others as well does does weigh on your shoulders. Yeah, no, I mean, I I, uh, I recognise some some of that in in my in my own experiences. You know, I spent seven or eight years being the only openly LGBT partner in in my business, and still we form a small minority, and there is a there is a pressure. And um, I think interestingly, looking at the pensions industry as well, is which is something I'm working on quite quite a lot at the moment. The underrepresentation of different groups, but particularly around um, ethnicity and um, also around uh, well every group in pensions to be honest is is pretty poorly represented in most in most places but ethnicity age um, sexual sexual orientation gender identity <laughs> disability I'm sure there's quite a lot of but it, it, it isn't it, it isn't something people feel particularly comfortable talking about these are all things where you know I think we're still on this kind of ma- massive journey um, I always I always say to people, if I'm really not making a breakthrough, I'm often rolled out, I'm sure you are as well, to trustee boards and to clients to go and talk about these things. And if I'm not making any progress with a with a often all white, all male, all old board, then I do my normal trick, which is to say, listen, OK, let's just take a step back and let's imagine every meeting you go to, everybody else in, the, in that meeting room is either gay, black, or something which you're not. And just imagine what that be, might be like. And I think quite often in that situation, there's a sort of penny drop moment and uh, and maybe hopefully they can understand some of the kind of pressures which you've just just talked about. Yeah, and I, I, I completely agree. And I'm not wishing to stick too much in our industry, but if you look at our industry, uh, Daniel, the, the population that's been served by our industry is a completely diverse population. So. It, it, it's different if you were serving a, a, a kind of mono population, you're serving a very diverse population. So in order to best benefit that population, then of course we must be diverse in our decision-making, our thinking, and in the way we represent those people. No, absolutely. So we talked about role modeling. I also mentioned at the beginning that um, it might be good if we can talk about allyship and you know, something which I feel very strongly about and particularly Thinking about it being Black History Month, you know, the, the in that kind of kind of sector, and it makes me feel very uncomfortable if I'm completely honest at what our business looks like, what our partnership looks like, but you know, what as you just kind of articulated, the broader kind of financial services and city looks like, um, and naturally, lots of people would say, well, what can I do to try and and help? without you know without kind of making it, making it worse so i think you know one of the things we have spent a lot of time with Travis Smith thinking about is around allyship and and just sort of owning the situation and saying well we we can't wave a magic wand and make this all okay um, but what can we what steps can the people who are here now actually take to to support change and what, i wonder what your experiences of that or your thoughts are yeah, that, this is an area that I'm also really passionate about. I really think this is such a key area in making a difference. And I I think the key thing to allyship is that it's active and not passive and it requires individuals to take an action of some description. So whilst it may be awkward, it's definitely better that we learn together than say nothing. Uh, and I, I, I love the what you guys have set out for what you guys mean, allyship, and there's kind of 10 broad areas in the, the publication that you sent across. And I, I 
kind of broadly think about in those same buckets as well. So I think there's five buckets I, I look at which kind of um, just kind of amalgamate some of those buckets that you already have. So the first one is around championing. So what I think individuals can do if they're going to be an ally is really use their voice to support underrepresented groups and act meaningfully in public to promote them. So I think a really great example is if you get some CVs in and they aren't, um, there are, for example, there are no black people on it or there are no, uh, what, for whatever reason, then the champion really is using your voice to say this isn't this isn't acceptable, give me some more CVs. Now, the next area I think is really around education and that's really learning about the challenges and prejudices faced by people, and, and particularly as we're in Black History Month, what, what are the kind of challenges faced by, by black people in the workplace, and then, then being able to share that with others. One of the key ones for me, because I said I, I really think there needs to be better representation at most senior levels. So the third one for me really is sponsorship. So that's where you're proactively fighting for underrepresented groups by challenging, dismantling some of the existing barriers to success. Performance conversations are really the ones we need to change if we're going to change representation. And the ally that is not from my area of difference, so a non-black ally is by far and away the most powerful ally that I can have in that room. Uh, support, being a supporter is helping us create safe spaces for members of underrepresented groups to share their stories, concerns and needs. And then the, the last one for me is really about being an upstander. So yeah, that's just really speaking out when they see wrongdoings and microaggressions in the workplace. So I guess just coming back to all for me, it's just really about there are, there are kind of five examples in five areas, but it's really just about taking an action of some description if we are going to be an effective ally. And I don't know, Daniel, I'm kind of just interested. I know we we briefly touched on this before, but what kind of things are you seeing within within Travis Smith about uh, ally, allyship role modeling and kind of changing what that representation picture looks like? Yeah, well, listen, firstly, those are brilliant, um, brilliant points. And um, I agree wholeheartedly with them. And they are they're, they're good points for people to actually just reflect on and take away from from this. In terms of the Travis Smith piece, I think what we're doing is, as you've already said, consistent with with those five points which you've just called out. I think what's good in one of the good things um, about about what we're doing is that it does build on a lot of work that we have done over a longer period of time in other um, in relation to other diversity strands. So some of it it, it, it is quite tried and tested. Some some of it. Um, isn't because it needs to be more bespoke, but 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 a lot of it does build on 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 established relationships and established principles, which particularly when you're looking at things like sponsorship or or um, being a, an upstander, as you say, are, are are useful to have in place already. I think it'd be fair to say that um, we that there has been a, a massive investment of time and the energy and. Um, resource uh, over the last two years in particular, particularly since um, our, our new senior partner came in and really, really actively championed this as a, as a fantastic ally in this area. And uh, I mean, in terms of breaking it down uh, to some specific, some examples of what, what we're doing is um, we've been doing allyship training, actively promoting, um, actually promoting allyship, but also telling people how they can do it, because there's no point in saying or be an ally and then not telling them what that actually means. To quote one of my one of my partners a long time ago, Travis Smith is a nice place, everyone's really nice, so we can't have a problem with, with diversity. Um, well, that's not right, is it? <laughs> a 
and um, I think we've all realised that, including the, brilliantly the partner involved, who is now a fabulous ally on a number of different fronts. But um, and then, you know, more bespoke anti-racism training on a group basis. We had a really excellent session in, in, in the pensions um, sector group, uh, which was delivered um, by an external expert who who really helpfully facilitated a discussion. And uh, and I think that was super useful working through our network group. So looking at, at how um, we can um, support the work of our of our black and, and um, BAME network group and also really trying to concentrate on doing everything with those groups on a, as far as possible and on an intersectional basis so that we're acting as allies for each other and then I suppose the two other big strands would be around recruitment where we're really putting in a lot of effort and time um, not just with graduate recruitment, but also on, when we're looking at lateral um, professional hires. Uh, and then um, finally, I think the most important, to be honest, is a, 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 a sort of um, laser sharp focus on an inclusive environment. And that very much crosses over with some of the things that you've talked about, including, you know, on the sort of negative side, the sort of upstander point uh, really introducing that that concept of microaggressions getting people used to that and then acting on it uh, but on a more positive note really focusing on all the benefits that being inclusive can 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 bring not just in terms of the diversity and inclusion agenda but more generally so i think you know that's that for me is underpins everything because you can do all the, all the work you like on diversity and it's important to do that and you can't ignore it and we have to keep doing all of that and more of it but if we don't get inclusivity nailed then yeah. um, it's a waste of time yeah that's how you reap the benefit of diversity of course yeah yeah I completely agree yeah i mean i think one of the beautiful things about the dni space um is the willingness of of uh, um professionals um to cooperate and to share knowledge and I'm incredibly grateful to you for coming today and, and, and doing just by that it really does add a lot to to what we're doing in this space at, at, at this time and um, I'm looking forward to doing more together I suppose um, just to leave on an on, on an action point um, you know you've, you've given us your five top sort of um, tips in relation to allyship but if you had to choose one thing that somebody listening to this could could go and do today what would it what would it be or is that just an unfair question <laughs> no i think that's I, I i would be focused on the i would want to be focused on the positive so the positive that i can see is the it's how you allow yourself as an individual to really champion and sponsor another individual and bring them through uh, and see them progress i i think there are no doubt individuals within your organization as that within within mine who are at the, at the moment not able to fully contribute in the way they would like to be able to because the environment is not set up to allow them to do that being able to break that down for an individual um, and people have the power to do that would be for me anyway the the the, the most important thing you could do brilliant yeah, that's incredibly helpful so listen thanks again so much so really really appreciate it i've thoroughly enjoyed it as well and i hope other people um have enjoyed today's podcast Thanks. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Thanks a lot.